Hi everyone, it's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. Boston-born Umeleni Mlaba Adebo got her start at Wally's Jazz Cafe when she was tricked into performing her poetry in front of an audience by her friends. But her journey reaches much farther, further, than the great Wally's. Umeleni spent her youth in Zimbabwe, and she credits her late mother as well as her grandmother for her gift of empathy and expression. Since Wally's, she has gone on to perform internationally as a poet, singer, speaker, and educator. In addition to her artistic endeavors, she is also adjunct professor at Endicott College, Boston, and was a keynote at the naturalization ceremony at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston in 2018, among many other accolades. She is a fearless powerhouse on stage. Her critically praised book of poetry is called Soul Psalms. Her work has helped raise awareness for immigrant and women's voices, and her passion for the human spirit is exemplified in her dedication to the youth of the city, as well as in her running marathons, most impressively the Boston Marathon several times. She also just won a Creative Entrepreneur Fellowship from the Arts and Business Council of Greater Boston. She is incredible. So here is our conversation with Bumaleni Mlava Adebo, recorded at Woods Hill Table in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, so Ron and I were joking about this before um, to make sure that we pronounce your name correctly. Mm -hmm. I've practiced. Okay. Yeah. That's. (laughs) That was what we were saying, is that I, I hope you've practiced. Yes, and I did, because, it, well, it's a, it's a beautiful name. <laughs> Umaleni Mlaba Adebo. Yes. Is that good? Yeah, that's, right, that's pretty good. Well, it's really good to meet you in person. Yeah, it was such, it's such a pleasure to meet you both. And happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Today's your birthday? No, no, no it, it was, was November 9th. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I consider, I consider all of November my birthday. That's you should. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, should. <laughs> It's been a crazy month. Oh, gosh, has it? Yeah, it uh, has been. Well, Ron wasn't here last night. We talked to another band last night. You know, we said we wouldn't talk politics. <laughs> mm. But uh, it tends to be all around us right now. You know, we certainly want to get your thoughts on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a crazy time, not just with politics, but with, you know, our masks over our faces and mm-hmm. trying to figure out where we're going. And I, I will say that, uh, you know, th- this year for my birthday I'm, I'm definitely feel better than i did uh you know some years ago right um when there was news of uh you know changing of the god uh if mm-hmm. you will in this country so this birthday it was uh, sort of more <laughs> digestible for me um i shall we say but i think sort of globally the things that are happening all over the world it's 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 really quite troublesome particularly as i think about my son and mm. um sort of our kids the future um mm. and what kind of world we are handing them over to, you know, is um, yeah. I'm, I'm quite disappointed um, at what we grown-ups have done. But I'm hoping um, that this time that we've had, this sort of global pause, if you will, to reset um, and re-engage and really think about what matters in life um, would really help us sort of move in the right direction. I like that global pause concept because it really doesn't affect, it's really just not ethnocentric, just about us in this place but we know that there is such tentacles to the, the power for better, better or worse in the U.S. Mm. and how it connects to the, the whole globe. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I think that there's a... Uh, my uh, daughter's 12, mm-hmm. and I have a son who's 15. And Chuck's are, what, 15 and 18? 19. 19? Yeah. You don't just think about yourselves. They're carrying the torch. 
Yeah. And it's hard to see. I mean, it's just, you know, preaching to the choir, but it's like, it's hard to see the mentor in air quotes mm-hmm. on the airwaves mm. of like, how, how do you explain that that is actually a role model? Yeah. To, mm. a, to anyone. Perhaps, like I said, this, this is an, an opportunity to redirect. Because I think one of the hardest things has been, how do I explain stuff to my son? Yeah. What we, how do I explain it to him? This is ridiculous. And giving him an opportunity to voice his, his thoughts um, amongst his friends and things of that nature. Um, that, that, for me, has been something that I really wanted to create um, a space for him to be able to engage in that yeah. artistically speaking um, yeah, yeah. And, and sort of on a sort of a social uh, way because given that he's been in remote school there's been not as many opportunities for him to uh, collide with friends a and real so, perfect storm yeah. yeah so I had to create moments um, where he could have those experiences you mentioned in one of your um, talks uh, or your between a talk and a performance, really. Mm-hmm. You come from a long line of medicine and women and spiritual women, yes. and that you are an empath. Yes. You had a lot on your shoulders the last couple, few oh. years. <laughs> if, you're, if you're feeling everybody's, oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. You know, everybody's angst. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a really, it's been a difficult year. It's funny because um, January the 1st, 2020, I was so hopeful. I had this whole bag of, of desires and dreams and things that I wanted to like uh, bring forth to the world. And, and then everything just sort of came crashing down in a tsunami. Yeah. And, you know, from sort of what happened, huh. you know, in the world at large. Two but months also later, yeah. What yeah. happened within the context of my immediate family and so many families, um, you know, in terms of COVID, its impact, in terms of grief and loss, yeah, um, and in terms of the fragmentation of of school and all of that, so it's been rough. And then my mother passed away oh, in the yeah, midst sorry, of, of all of this. When was that? Uh, June, June fourth, she oh. passed away in Zimbabwe. Oh, and you know, not being able to hop on a plane and yeah. go with, to right, to right. be with my family as normally I would be able to whenever there was any concern um, from my family in terms of health and well-being. <coughs> and, you know, shut borders really made it difficult, um, to say the least. But, you know, I'm not alone in this time where even people who live in the same town right. can see their loved ones. Yeah. Never mind people who are torn by continents of emotion. Yeah. And, uh, right. you know, and, so, and here we are. So. <laughs> well, you said you had in January 2020 a bag of uh, emotions. You, you, you put it in such a way, you, you were ready to, to release something. Oh, yeah, bags in a of sense dreams, of, yes. <laughs> what was that? Oh, gosh, there was, there's so many things. Well, one is I, I was working on, and, and actually I'm continuing to with, with more ferocity now that my mom passed away, but I was really working on uh, sort of solidifying some research project that I started around my mom and my dad and their life um, and when I was born and all of that stuff and and the politics of the time this would be in the 70s and what was going on in my country uh, which was then Rhodesia Um, so I was working I wanted to sort of start really developing that project Uh, a Mm. colleague of mine we were going to uh, create a program together where we were going to do trainings and things of that nature um, around well-being for employees in a really interesting way um, and so many other dreams and it just sort of came to a standstill um, as well as many projects as you know you might imagine with 
the sort of the global shutdown, a lot of you know a lot of projects were on pause, hmm. and so that happened to me as well. I had a lot of things lined up creatively, and they were postponed to to now and also maybe to next year. So it's just it's been a really interesting time to try and stay focused or present in each moment, yeah. considering sort of the chaos that we are <laughs> going around. Yeah, but uh, you know they are often always moments of joy in spite of the chaos and that's, that's right. what you cling to there are silver linings well we i'm sorry to start off on such a, a, a bummer no let's try to pick it up a little yeah, bit yeah no it's, that's it's, fine that's, um, that's okay um, let's go darker come on let's go, go darker <laughs> let's go to Van, you know voldemort or whatever you know um you know we i usually don't do the whole you know tell us where you're from and all that kind of okay. stuff but, but you have such an interesting background you were born in Lemonster? Yes, yes. And then when you were four, you moved to Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Now, it was Rhodesia at the time? Uh, yes, it okay. was Rhodesia when we moved, yeah. When you moved back. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck, so that's a very common migration. It, it is, it is. <laughs> I don't know why you think that's... There's a lot of Bostonians in Zimbabwe. <laughs> no, Lemonster to, Lemonster to Zimbabwe. Oh, wow, yeah. okay. Um, mm-hmm. So first of all, why were your parents here mm-hmm. in, in Lemonster? Sure. When you were born? My parents were here because they were in graduate school. In graduate um, school? Yes. Yeah. Where so were they at school? My mom was, actually both of them were at UMass Amherst. Okay. Uh, in fact, they were doing, I think, their second degrees at the time. That's kind of why I was born in Lemonster. Um, and at the time, too, my mom was working at the Lemonster Public Library. Okay. And uh, so she was uh, studying to be an archivist. Uh, an archivist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she, she's a graduate of Simmons, so... Okay. Um, so that was so that's kind of why I was there, and then we left uh, because my mom wanted to go back home. My grandmother really needed her. My grandfather at the time had passed away, and my mother was really concerned about her mom. So she just sort of took me and was like, "We got to go home. I need to be with my mom," yeah. and was planning, I think, on being there for a short amount of time. Yeah. But you know, war was happening in the country. She's right. got a you know a little kid and. Uh, going into into these areas and things, you know, took longer. What year did you go back? I was about four, so this would be now about 1978 or so. 1978. Yeah, in the okay. late 70s, yeah. And um, so we stayed, and my mom didn't, I think she came back for a little while, and then we just went, I mean, we just stayed, and then subsequently my parents divorced. Okay. Um, and then I spent, which is why I spent the bulk of my uh, experience in Zimbabwe and South Africa and Botswana is okay. where I was whipped into shape as they right. say <laughs> you were there through your teens yes yes but yeah. then you moved back to boston yeah for, I moved co- back, for college yeah i moved back to boston yeah to come back to college and as an act of defiance and resistance i think <laughs> yeah. when i think back to the time it was really because i knew i was an artist when yeah. i was really young but it's just not something that you can do yeah. as a career it was frowned upon at least then maybe not so much now but uh, it's just not something that you, you do it on the side you do a real job you know you yeah, yeah. become a doctor or a lawyer you know sure. something something that we can recognize was that frowned upon at an early age culturally as well or was it something more generation 70s to now tell me more about Zimbabwe at that time yeah I mean I think 
at least in, in, in my family, it seemed like, I mean, I was sort of the strange one <laughs> in my family. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think they just really didn't quite understand what to do with me in terms of huh. my interest in the art. And that's not to say that I wasn't given an opportunity to explore the creativity, which I was. I mean, yeah. I went to really awesome schools, private schools my whole life. My schools are like Harry Potter without the magic. That was my experience in school. Really? Yes. You know, uniforms yeah, okay. and I wear bashes and I went to Catholic school and Anglican school. Mm. I went to school in South Africa, a co-ed boarding school. So, I mean, I had opportunities to explore my creative aspect, but in terms of it being a career that I could study in university and subsequently have a career, that just was not an option within the context of my family. Right. But, but um, what was the art? Was it poetry or was it writing? It was all of it. I mean, it was really, th I mean, I started writing poetry when I was about maybe 10. Yeah. And then um, I did a lot of theater. So I remember playing, you know, Aladdin in pantomimes, uh, <laughs> doing um, Grease Lightning, um, <laughs> you know, just things that I'm remembering, doing a lot of variety shows, yeah. um, you know, doing dance, singing in the choir that sort of thing so a full sort of gamut of creativity but that was what i wanted to do for the rest of my life mm. and that just was not an option mm. and it might be because i think my parents were very sort of traditional like mm. you go to school you study you do multiple degrees and then you go and do something that we can you can brag about sure <laughs> you know where people will understand so when you decided to move back to the united states and you were doing some musical theater, you were thinking about the arts, why didn't you think about New York? Was it just because of you were born here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I did think about New York, um, but my mom would have none of it. Um, and really? Was, yeah, she she was like, look, you need to go to Boston because my, my biological father lived in Boston. Okay, you have family um, so, here, so yeah, that's yeah. good. So she was like, if you're gonna come back to the US, you know, come to Boston, at least there you've got someone who can provide you some tutelage um, and sort of, you know, be there to sort of support you. And at the time, um, my dad was uh, working at uh, Wentworth Institute of Technology. And so when I came to university, that's where I went to school for the first year. And I was on track to be maybe an architect slash engineer. And well, there's an arc here of <laughs> Lemonster, Zimbabwe, back to Boston. I mean, yes, it, you, yes your, your dad was here, mm -hmm. but it's interesting because it kind of started there yes. as well. Did you take classes in architecture? I did, I did, I did. Um, I loved, I loved Wentworth, uh, you know. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not really, into, you know, I'm not an engineer, um, but I mean, I loved the creativity of architecture in terms of understanding just how buildings are created and that. But I took a psychology class um, while I was there and I just completely fell in love with psychology. Really? Just understanding sort of, sort of the emotional geography, if uh -huh. you will, of people and decided this is what I wanted to, mm. to explore. So I left and, and went to UMass Boston. And largely that was because I wanted to go to a school that my parents had some kind of history. Yeah, sure. They went to UMass Amherst, right. I went to UMass Boston. Um, so I kind of felt like I was kind of continuing the family legacy, mm. if you will. Um, and yeah. it was also a school that, you know, was so much bigger um, in terms of programs than Wentworth, which is much smaller. And one of the other things that you did is when you came back, because your parents call you Mel and Melanie. Yes, yes. You decided, you said that you took your name back. Yes. Can you talk about that, why you decided to take that back? And, and, yeah. and also, what did your parents think about that? Yeah, um, well... This is your life, <laughs> Melanie. This, that's what this is. Yeah, I mean, I think really all my life I've been called Melanie, um, even though my official name is Umeleni. Um, 
And so I, I didn't really think too much about it. I probably wouldn't have you know, used my full name um, had I not started performing. Um, and I kind of chose the name, you know, sort of reclaimed my name really because I was thinking, I was trying to think of a name that I could, that would look great in lights or something, you know, in my fantasy anyway. Sure. No, you I know, get something it. that was, you know, could stand out, you know, if I'm on stage, you know, since my friends signed me up on an open mic list. And, I want to talk about that know, too, yeah. Uh, I was like, well, I should have a name that just says something, that sizzles, yeah. right? So I came up with many different things and then I was like wait a minute my name is is pretty interesting and it also means something really interesting and powerful too and it was given to me so why not use it and uh, it means what are we waiting for yes yeah what are we waiting for yes <laughs> that's awesome yes yeah so. well it's tell, I'm gonna start I, saying I, that I, to Chuck all the time well I heard the story <laughs> millennia when, when her yeah. mother was pregnant if, mm. if, if, if I get this right yeah her father mm. was wondering when she was coming mm-hmm. and he's yeah. like what are we waiting for mm-hmm. yeah millennia yeah and then yeah so yeah you could see that in lights <laughs> I was like, it's a beautiful name i love it yeah yeah it's you funny just gotta get people to pronounce it people, yeah in in uh so my dad is Ndebele, um and my mother shona so they're from two different tribes in zimbabwe oh, okay and um when i hang out with my cousins on my dad's side you know they would tell me you know not many people people generally don't call themselves don't have that name umaleni so even in the context of that it seems like it's it's kind of unusual but generally our names always mean something in yeah. terms of you know whether it's the occasion of which you're born or it's the sure. season uh, my son's name jabulani means celebrate ah. um be happy and, and he goes by jabu yeah jabu is is an abbreviation for it um be happy yeah jabulani means uh, it's ndebele uh, zulu and my husband's name Olumide uh, means God has arrived. Huh. Um, and so well, that's a lot of pressure. He walks in the door. <laughs> 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 yeah, and you were late for him at the door. I know. You know I didn't let uh, God in quickly enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, we make well, a beautiful sentence. What are we waiting for? Umeleni, you know, God has arrived. Olumide, Jabulani. And let's, celebrate, and let's be happy. So I think it's beautiful. <laughs> well, um, I, I, that's interesting. I've never heard of that. A way of explaining that we our family makes a nice sentence. Yeah, yeah, that's because nice. that's I like that. that's kind of nice. You know? Yeah, yeah. My daughter's name is Abigail, and it means joy of the father. Oh. And so I always tell her that when she's kind of like giving me an attitude, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm feeling joyous right now. <laughs> yeah. What does Ron mean? Ron means someone who usually likes on time. Hot dogs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that true of you? <laughs> no, he's never on time. Yeah. No, I don't know what it means, actually. As a matter but, of mm. fact. But you brought up the first time you went up. Now, I don't know if you heard this story either. She was at Wally's. Actually, yeah. why don't you tell it? Oh, okay. Oh, Wally's Cafe? Oh, yes. Oh, Wally's. I love Wally's. It was many, many years ago. I think yeah. many years ago. I still wet behind the ears and I was still trying to figure out what am I, what am I doing with myself. You were in college or out of college? I was in college still. Okay. I was in, at UMass Boston at the time. And um, we went to, it was during Black History Month and me and my two best friends went to an open mic mm. and that was happened to be hosted at Wally's. At Wally's. Yeah. And they signed me up. I didn't know this. When we got, in, you know, when we went there, I was like, "Oh, this is great! We're going to hear some great poetry." And I'd always been writing, and I'd only shared with them. I never shared publicly up until that point. So oh. next thing I hear, my name Melanie, and I was like, "What? Why is my name being called? Is there anyone else called Melanie?" And of course, it wasn't. And so they literally pushed me on the stage. I don't remember what poem I said, but whatever I said 
you know, must have struck a chord with people. They didn't throw stuff at me, which is always a good sign. It's <laughs> always a good sign, yeah, I agree. I was like, oh, and then, and people, you know, they clapped and people came up to me afterwards and they said, oh, you know, it was really, it was really great, that's good stuff. Do you, do you perform often? I was like, no, I've never done this before. <laughs> and so the rest is pretty much history. I started uh, going to a lot of open mics. I was listening to a lot of incredible poets. I also spent a lot of time, you know, listening to musicians as well because I'm really influenced by music and I sang jazz in college. So Wally's is special to me in the sense that I learned a lot about uh, being a vocalist, a jazz vocalist at Wally's, just sitting there and listening uh, to sort of the greats and sort of learning from Uh. seasoned musicians um, and singers who would go and scat and all that. And so I'd learn and, and watch and listen, which is why I blend music in my poetry uh, because of my love of singing as well. So when you were sort of encouraged at UMass to go on stage, Mm. did you actually offer a poem or or let a friend know that you could do something? And and they said, you got to come with me? Well, it was that that moment. I mean, my friends had heard me many times because I would sort of force them to listen to my genius. I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, not really. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, so you, I did you do it with like behind closed doors and say, hey, I got, I, I got yeah, I mean, something I want to. Not too many people, but I, I would share, you know, snippets of, of, you know, ideas and poems with my friends. It was just for us. And it was just, you know, something I was working on. And generally at the time, it would more or less be uh, inspired um, by, at the time, either love or politics. Um, And a lot of the stuff I was doing at the time really stemmed from my experiences being in South Africa during apartheid and being, uh, you know, learning about uh, the power of the voice and organizing sit-ins and Mm. and sort Mm. of the the racism and prejudice of the time. Mm. And then coming to Boston in the early 90s and that, that climate, um, and the cultural shock um, that it was. So a lot of my, my poems were around that, and it was really a private exploration in my journal and with my friends. And so it's only when I shared through that podding is when I really understood, oh, you know, other people are having these issues and concerns and questions, and it never occurred to me that other people would feel that way. So. I figured no one threw anything at me, so this is a good sign. So maybe I should work on this more and share and also learn from others and yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. Um, because it's something I really, really love to do on my own. But when I recognize that when you say stuff, it can help other people, especially when someone came up to me and said I articulated their pain yeah. in a way that they could never articulate. To me, I was like, oh, this is what the point is. This is, is to say these things so that you can allow someone to unlock some things that they couldn't say. And I was like, oh my God, this is humbling. Um, yeah, this isn't just performance. Yeah, and, and so I realized then, um, which really has been the compass of the work that I do and the way in which I approach my work, is that I will not share anything publicly unless I have worked through the issues, the emotions that are in the work so that when I share it and if it impacts people in a particular way, I have the ability to emotionally hold them. When you shared your poetry with your friends, Mm -hmm. would you speak it to them or would you just show it to them on the page? No, I would read it to them. You would read it to them? Yes. So, I mean, looking at words on the page, especially of a poem, I find it hard to focus and really kind of get the, you know, I can, I don't read a lot of poetry if I ever do, but when 
someone speaks it out loud, that mm -hmm. grabs me. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you try and work through what you think other people may feel about it is fascinating. I, I don't know yeah. if I've ever heard anybody put it in that way. Why, why do you feel that you need to do that? I mean, I think it's wonderful mm -hmm. that you do that, but that's, that's a lot to, that's a big burden. Yeah. Um, is it? I, I mean, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, I, I think I consider what I do creatively to be a gift that I, I take uh, incredible responsibility with, um, both in, in its developing it um, and, and letting it grow, you know, if you think about sort of biblical parables and that kind of thing. Um, but also because you had mentioned earlier about me being an empath, um, and I, it's very, very deep with, in terms of how I, I, I feel. And so I think with that, it is incredibly important to me to be responsible whenever I share my work. Now, I'm not saying that I can be everything to everyone. I'm just saying that I feel comfortable and confident that what I can, when I share what I'm doing, whatever that is, that I can withstand um, sort of the emotions that come back to me based on what I unearth in other people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've, I've been witness to these things happening and I, it's mm. only when I understood the power of it because I didn't always understand. Yeah. Um, it's not like I started writing and instantly that was the journey. I think it's something that I have sort of grown into really understanding the mechanisms of how my work affects people and how I'm affected by um, how they're affected. by other people's response to what I shared, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it sounds like a responsibility. Yeah, it is. That it's is a, a, that you, you kind of own and you're confident with that probably took, a, I would imagine it took a while yeah. to feel confident in your skin with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Especially when you, because you also include uh, singing, you know, the mix of you talking and singing um, whether or not you're reciting poetry or you're just kind of saying your story. Mm -hmm. um, it's very powerful, I, I, you know, it's, especially because the, the, the language you're singing in is not in English. Mm. You know, it's that, that mystery there and the beauty of that language that people won't understand. It's an interesting, so let me, let me put it to you this way. Why do you sing in your native language when you are, telling, when you are saying a poem or when you're telling your story? Mm -hmm. When you know that people can't understand necessarily what you're saying, mm -hmm. What's the goal there? Because I love it. I, I mean, I don't understand what you're saying in the language, obviously, but mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason, it affects me. I didn't always sing when I would do my work. I would keep it very separate. I was very sort of separatist in my approach to my work. I'm like, okay, I'm singing. I'm singing jazz. I'm singing Ella Fitzgerald. That's it. I'm not doing any poetry. And then I'm doing my poetry. You know, if I'm doing my acting, I'm doing my acting. But then I realized, well, why am I keeping it separate? Why? what would happen if I sang and I did poetry, maybe and I moved, or whatever. Um, and I started being comfortable in experimenting um, with that. One of the things that I, I wanted to do in terms of speaking in my native tongue and singing in my native tongue is that I grew up in a family where we sang a lot, albeit spirituals. Um, my it family is. went to church a lot, uh, Methodist church and I didn't always like it to be honest um, I didn't like the indoctrination but I loved the music oh. and the singing um, and sort of the emotion that it evoked um, and so a lot of the singing that I do um, is uh, sort of evoking that sense of sort of 
community and sort of family tradition and things that I had in my in my own home uh, when I'd go to my grandmother's house. Um, there's a lot of singing, a lot of prayer, a lot of sort of meditation, uh, repetition. Uh, some of these elements I use in the in the work that I do. It's very grounding. You see it in many religions. You know, I see it at temple. I'm I'm Jewish, and I'll, I'll for years mm. I have no idea what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But I will recite it and sing along as if I completely, you know, it's in my brain since I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same in many other cultures and different churches. Yeah. Where it bring and it brings people together. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, I think, a value to translation and to mm-hmm. say, a, a, sort of have a, a repeating phrase, mm-hmm. something that's very grounding and meditative, and then to translate it for the audience. I think there's value to that. Mm-hmm. But I think even if you don't, mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, it's that sort of melodic, trance-like power mm-hmm. that you don't even have to understand it. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and from time to time, I've I've sort of struggled with the idea of, should I translate it? Do I have to? Why should I? Um, And and part of it is because, I mean, my first language is English and my native tongue. And I don't do as much poetry in my native tongue, although I've been doing a lot of uh, playing around with the idea of just doing poetry in my native tongue and not translating it. Which is one of the the dialects of, in Zimbabwe? Shana, yes. Shana, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I think, you know, feelings are universal. You don't have to know what people, just like with the music, you don't have to know what is said, but it does something to you. The default is like, it should be English and it should be understood, but why? Yeah. Why? Why must it always be understood necessarily in English? Why not, why not make, make English the secondary and whatever language the primary? And then also, why not let the audience work hard to figure out what you're trying to say. Huh. Yeah. Because we as people who are, are, you know, multilingual and English is one of many languages, hmm. have to do the work right. to try and figure it out, yeah. <laughs> you know? Would you honor us with one of your favorite Shauna poems? Sure, sure, yeah. Because I'd, I'd love to think about what it means. Yeah, I can read a poem in, in my book. Yeah. Um, I write a love poem in Shauna. I want to read something. It was very brief. That, that Just back to what we were talking before about what Chuck raised about is it that burden, is it that, and, and what mm-hmm. that responsibility. Prepare to be touched, angered, relaxed, challenged, soothed, and renewed all at once. Mm. What is that, someone who wrote something about her? Yes. I read that, and it made sense to me listening to your work, mm-hmm. but now it sort of makes a little more sense to me. Mm. Well, that video... that it's complicated. The one of the videos on your... That's the one where you sing, mm-hmm. and the guy had come out and fix your microphone. That, oh, yes, that one. yeah. That's... Uh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you would sing, maybe it was the feeling that I got. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it just tended to relax me. It's almost like when you go into yoga and they start... You know, you yeah. just kind of get that relaxation and it focuses your mind to be able to listen to the words that you're saying. Mm-hmm. And you kind of break it up with some different singing. And even at the end, yes. you got people singing and even standing oh, up. Oh, yeah, that um, that <laughs> made me cry. <laughs> I bet, I bet. I mean, yeah. it was really powerful. And, oh, yes. you know, it's what grabs your attention is the calmness of your voice, I think. with the, And the, I think the singing kind of prepares yourself for that. I don't know. Mm. I'm riffing right now. But I think, but that's the way I felt when you were, when I watched that video. It was yeah. Really, it well, how does great. that make you, you feel when you, when you you said you were brought to tears? Mm. You'll have to reflect that back. This is very yes. in psychology, right? It's transference mm-hmm. and countertransference, right? You bring that out to people, and they they kind of reflect it back. Yes. 
do you find that you have to ground yourself during the moment? Not necessarily during the moment. You mm. know, I'll sort of give you the little backstory to that. That was in April of 2019, where I was one of the featured storytellers at Peace Love. Mm. And Peace Love was a nonprofit organization out of Providence, and they do a lot of work around mental well-being and using expressive arts sure. uh, in order to help with that and to sort of normalize and to give space for that discourse to happen and well-being to happen. So it's an organization I'm, I really, really love and respect. And so I was one of the storytellers telling how my family or a personal connection to mental well-being. And mm. so for me, it's always very important that I work on issues um, that I'm passionate about, but also that I, I may have a personal connection. In the case of mental well-being, I have family members who struggle with that. And so for me, it was both important to elevate the conversation um, about mental well-being here in the U.S. as well as abroad, but also to talk about what I consider to be my medicine, the things that help me to be well um, in my everyday life. And for me, it's always been journaling. It's always been writing. And so that piece um, that you're referring to really centers around me bringing my medicine, my journals. Yeah, you, brought and, a, you had and, a big pile of books I there. I bought like a suitcase full of my journals. Mm -hmm. and was reading some of them from way back, which was, I'd never done that before. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you had to stop and gather yourself before you could start speaking because yeah, you got emotional yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so creating that particular piece, it was a 12-minute piece, was really, it was so important, but it was also somewhat terrifying yeah. uh, because it came together literally about maybe 20 minutes before I had to go on stage. Mm. I mean, I had been thinking about it and sort of formulating it. Um, I couldn't sleep the night before, <laughs> and I was just really stressed out about, you know, I wanted to make sure that my message was clear, you know, that I was a conduit for, for change and for those who couldn't speak, you know, about mental well-being. And I wanted to, to, you know, make my family proud, and I wanted to make my words, you know, all of that stuff. So when I got on the stage, I literally was like, okay, I'm, I guess I'm gonna do this. And then I just, <laughs> I, I did it not knowing what would happen, but I had the elements in my head of what I wanted to do and to say. And definitely singing was going to definitely be part of that. But again, with anything, you, you never know how you're gonna be received. Yeah. You know, as an artist, you always want to just give your best. And even if one person claps, you, you're good. Something <laughs> has happened. And that was like, okay, I wanna make sure that somebody feel something and I want to make sure that I'm shining through in terms of what my message is mm. and so when people were reflecting um, and singing when I had people singing you know these like four or five hundred people are singing a song with me and you know talking about how that sort of relaxing kind of that sort of meditation that anchor it was overwhelming I bet. and, and you because were it was all around surround sound of, yeah. of just huh. oneness with all these people who had never met each other before, but in that moment were all aligned and connected through me teaching them that voice and their willingness to be open, not knowing where it was going to go, but trusting that I was guiding them somewhere, somewhere safe. Was um, it religious in a sense? Yes, I would say so. I, I mean, it reminds me of the cross between music, poetry, and the church. And yes. just sort of that power. Yeah, it, it was in, incredible. And afterwards, of course, you know, as always, whenever I perform, I need time to get back to myself because I'm holding all this incredible energy and love and all the good stuff that I'm feeling. And I need to go and 
put it somewhere <laughs> and then I need to go and sort of get back to myself. Um, so I love performing, but it takes out a lot I bet. because I'm putting everything in that, whether it's at two minutes, that five minutes. And then it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, I need to, I need to go and, and bring it in and rein it in. We have, uh, we have something in common. Oh. One of my favorite places to go mm-hmm. in Boston is the Trident Bookstore Cafe. You're kidding. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. When I went, I went to Berkeley for a little bit, and okay. so when I was there, I'd have time between classes, and I'd go and I'd I'd load up on caffeine at yeah. Trident. This is before they redid the upstairs and downstairs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was almost a few years before you got there. Probably you got to Boston probably in the in the early nineties. You said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I graduated ninety one. So mm-hmm. I was there for for that time, and it's my favorite favorite place. Yes. And you yes. say you do a lot of your writing there. Oh, it's so special. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, not as much now. Um, I used to before I had a, an official office. Uh-huh. Um, I would go there and and just do my writing and my dreaming. So for many years I'd go and I'd write my little homes and I would dream my dreams I was like one day my book is going to be in this bookstore (laughs) and that's what I would say and of course in 2016 I published my poetry book and I had my launch party there because of course. I had, at I, the yeah, Trident? I did. Oh, awesome. I did. I and it had one was, of those T stickers on it. Like, it was just, uh, it was so incredible. Yeah, it was, I mean, the power of words, people really underestimate the power of words and dreams and yeah. hard work. Um, because I've been, I had been dreaming about many things um, throughout my time in Boston and um, every single one of the dreams I've dreamt have come to be. Not necessarily the, the year. Yeah. But they have happened. What do they call that when you imagine what's going to happen? You. Um, no, I know what you're talking yeah, about. I just okay. can't think of the word. Yeah. I can't think of the word. I, well, I wish we knew a poet that we could. Ask. I know. <laughs> Didn't we know a poet around here? Um, I can't remember what it's called. But but yeah. It's you, like an, an envisioning. But yeah, it's, that's it's not fancier, the word. It's a fancier yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. You know. Visualize? You know what I mean. No, no. I. But I know what you mean. You know what I mean. But yeah. But so that's what you do. You write it down. You imagine you do. it's going to happen. And everything it can happen. that I've ever. Re- I mean, everything. Literally, even up to my son and my husband. I wrote them into existence. I literally did. <laughs> I'm telling that's you. Writing your story. I really did, and it, and it, and it's 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 magical. People don't believe me, but the thing is. Proof is in the pudding, you yeah. know, so to speak. You know, I said well, when, I was going to be an author, yeah. and, and I had, not, you know, so. That's 2016. Huh? I'll have to. I have to get the book. Yeah. Is, is so it that I, one or no? Yeah, it's that one. Yeah. How, so you will sell that to me? A uh, hundred bucks. Oh, no, 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 I'll send, I'll send you. No, no, just, yeah, don't make worry. Sure I'm going to get it on Amazon. Yeah. I, I uh, we got to support the artist. Oh, thank you, um, thank you. Yeah. What, did you have a premonition that you would be sitting with, uh, with me and Chuck, at this uh, for a podcast? Actually, <laughs> no, actually, no, but woman. let me tell you, no, but for real, though, yeah. um, I did, I did have in my journals, I did say, I write a list of things that I would like to happen. And, <laughs> and being on a podcast uh, that was talking about different things, specifically about music and art was one of them. Oh, for that's, sure. hey, that's manifest. For sure. I didn't, ha- I didn't know, I didn't specify why I just said that they have to be really passionate about music and art. Uh, that, so. That's how that's writing great. things down. That's how it, mani- you, it manifests. That's, that's what the true. word is. It is a manifest. I found yeah. it. I manifest found destiny. It. You want to get back to teaching, but what is up for the great 2021? Oh gosh, that is going to be much better than 2020. <laughs> the great 2020. Knock on wood. What, you, what do you have so. planned? Um, well, um, I'm just I'm I'm really grateful. I, I recently got um, a fellowship, a creative um, entrepreneur fellowship. Uh, through the arts um, and arts and business council yes, of Greater yes, Boston. So, yes, um, so I'm really I'm humbled and grateful for the opportunity, and I'm congratulations. Really, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, so I, I plan on uh, really working on developing 
Um, it's called Roots and Revelations. Uh, really, it's uh, a project around my, my family um, and sort of the beginnings, you know, Lemonster and um, Zimbabwe and all of that. And then a lot of the uh, principles that I've learned from my, my family. I have a, I have a uh, sort of consulting a project called the Maoko Project. Maoko right. is a word that means hands in my native tongue. And it's really uh, an homage to my mom who passed away. Um, she taught me a lot about uh, these principles and ideas that I think are really important and can really sort of move and can be used whether you're teaching in education, whether you're talking about uh, mental illness or and also, you know, as a performance, these are sort of the anchors and the foundation for my art. So I really want to develop um, a sort of a multimodal experience um, based on my heritage um, and culture with intention. And so that's largely what my plan is for, for 2021 and spending time with my... <laughs> that's it? My li- well... <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a, yeah. an amazing project. Yeah. And it's kind of what you started to do pre-COVID. Yes, uh, yeah. Exactly a year ago. Yeah, yeah. So I started to do it, but I feel like I'll be able to do it with more gusto, with more focus as well, you know, and I have a a more uh, sort of a sense of urgency now, um, you know, as one does when you recognize how fragile life is uh, and how we're really here just for a fleeting moment and how it's really important uh, to share your stories um, with one another, particularly your family stories. Um, and so kind of going back to my mom's archival roots in terms of documenting um, our family history is really important. Well, that's very well said. Thank you. Can you do a little a piece for us? Yes. Can I borrow the uh, book? I, I don't no, you can't borrow the book. <laughs> of course you can borrow the book. I like so it. I will read this poem uh, with translation, uh, but it'll mm. start off. Uh, it's, it's called uh, Rudo. Rudo is the word love uh, in my native tongue, Shona. Mudiwa wangu, hapana zuarno furandiska kufungi. Uri kutanga kwangu, nekupera. Uri zuarno jeke sanika. Usiku uri nyenye zimdenga. Uri mchengeti wengwe wangu. Ruware mwe wangu. Mwe wangu unofefete randika kufunga. Nokurati za seiko kuzama kwerudor wangu. Kukunyoro ratamba. Kukuimbira kushika waisimbae sozi. Hapana mazwi anonya tatsanangura mudikani. Usandisia. Usandisia ndega muupenyu. Ndaka kupa mwe wangu. Paspe muatera. Saka wane mbiri mudikani. Wane mbiri. My love. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think of you. You are my beginning and my end. You are the sun in my personal sky. At night, you are the stars decorating the heavens. You are the captor of my heart, flower of my heart. You make my heart flutter when I think of you. How do I convey the depth of my feelings for you? Should I write you a letter or sing sacred songs until you cry tears of surrender? There are no words, my love. Please don't leave me. Don't leave me here in this world alone. I gave you my heart that day underneath the wattle tree. So now you have two, my love. Now you have two. We would like to thank Umalani for sitting with us. She is truly an amazing person. You can find out more about her at umalani.com. That's U-M-A-L-A-N-I dot com. That's you dash 
M-E-L-E-N-I.com. Go to AboveTheBasement.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. From all of us at Above the Basement, thank you for listening. Tell your friends, wear a mask, and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique.